If you would, I'll ask you to turn to the book of Philippians and Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look this evening just real briefly. This is less a sermon, less even a homily. We're like a devotional. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 there is what I want us to focus on just as we close out this faith focus series uh, that has been an absolute delight to my soul uh, as we've been thinking together about living in light of eternity and thinking about it as pilgrims uh, headed toward that great celestial city above. This morning, or this evening, what I want to do is just end here with verses 12 through 14. I want to think about together, what does it mean to live in light of eternity and to be pilgrims that endure? Pilgrims that endure. And I want to think about that together tonight. So let me pray before we just read these verses together. We always want God's blessing upon the reading of the word and the preaching of it. Our Father, we do pray that you would take this living word and that you would sow it in our living hearts. And that you might tonight, by the power of your Spirit, work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. That we might know what it looks like more and more to live as pilgrims on that road to the celestial city that we might finish the race before us, that we might endure to the end, to your praise, to your glory, and for our very good. It is in the strong and powerful name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, this is the holy, inerrant, sufficient word of God. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. As I said, we've been thinking about living in light of eternity, thinking about pilgrims on the road, and it makes sense that as we're thinking about that together, that the very way that we end this is to think about the fact that we need to endure to the end. If you think about pilgrimages, uh, they are often arduous. That's why they're called a pilgrimage. Uh, they're not simply a walk. Uh, they're not simply a, a stroll. They're a pilgrimage. Uh, that is, that there is effort that's involved, that there are usually deep rivers and streams to cross and mountains to climb and deep valleys to go through, and it takes real effort. And so to think about a pilgrimage, I think it's helpful to think about what it is, what does it look like to endure to the end of that pilgrimage, and why should that be such a focus for pilgrims? And that's what Paul does here in this text. 
As you think about pilgrims, pilgrims are always on a voyage, and as they're on a voyage, there is always a destination that is in view, and it's that destination that really motivates in the midst, isn't it? It's the thing that draws, it's the thing that, that pulls, it's the thing that they continually have before their eyes. And Paul in this text has such a drive. He says this, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the call for the prize of the upward call, press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do. I call that a, a singular purpose or a, a singular mindset. The greats always have this. They always have this. We could do this across the spectrum. If I just name a name, you immediately think of them in relation to one thing because they were like this. If I say Michael Jordan, you think basketball. If I say Tom Brady, you think football. If I say Warren Buffett, you immediately think investing. If I say Julia Child, you think cooking. A singular mindset. One thing that their mind is set upon and for the Christian, there is only one. It's Christ. Why? Because of the second half of verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I was thinking uh, this afternoon, thinking about this text, and thinking, uh, as I pastor this congregation, as I think about each of you and pray for each of you, and uh, it's always this. I'm always thinking and praying and aiming at, look, if, Lord, if this person doesn't know Christ, would they know Christ? And if you know Christ, then I'm always praying for you and always seeking to aim that you see more of Christ. And then it's always aimed at us finishing the race together so that you apprehend and gain more of Christ. It's my singular aim in my ministry to you is that you would know Christ. This is Paul's singular purpose. Those who persevere in the Christian life are those who endure. And those who endure have the singular mindset where they're set upon Christ. And when you're set upon Christ, you endure to the end. Now, don't mistake me. Christ has said that those who are his, he never leaves, he never abandons, he never forsakes. He says that those that are his, he has in the palm of his hand, and that there is none that can snatch them out of his hand, and none can take them out of his hand, because they are also in the hands of the Father, and none are greater or stronger than the Father, and none can snatch them out of the Father's hands. He loses none of all those that have been given to him, he says to his father when he prays. And yet, even as that is true, there is this constant refrain in the Scriptures that you and I are to strive in Christ. He keeps us and we strive. Paul echoes that here. He says that word, pressing on. It has the idea of zealous pursuit, and it's in the present tense, which means that it's something that is to be continual, that you keep engaging on, pressing on. It's ongoing. You keep at it. 
He has an ambition to know Christ. You say, well, he already knows Christ. Yes, but he wants to know more of Christ. And the word that follows it is even stronger. That word make it, or it could be seize it, or grasp it. He's straining, he's laboring, he's sweating to make this perfect knowledge of Christ all his own. A singular mindset. You see what's happening here. He has been gripped by Christ. And so he equally wants to grip Christ. He's been known by Christ, and so he wants to equally know Christ. He's been apprehended by Christ, and so he equally wants to apprehend Christ. He's made me his own. And so now Paul is saying, I'm endeavoring in every way to make Christ my own, that my knowledge of him might be perfect. Paul will say in another passage for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. All Christ. Everything in his life, Christ. And then he says to die is gain. Why? Because it just means more of Christ. I'd call this type of mindset zeal. That's a good biblical word, zeal. Jews throughout the scriptures in both positive and negative ways. But Revelation 3.19, God says to the church there in Laodicea, which is lukewarm, which lacks zeal, he says to it, he says, be zealous and repent. My fear is, is that in our day and age, especially in the church, we have too many pilgrims in the church that aren't marked by zeal. There's a lack of zeal. J.C. Ryle said this, he said, the desire is so strong when it really reigns in a man that it impels him to make any sacrifice, to go through any trouble, to deny himself to any amount, to suffer, to work, to labor, to toil, to spend himself and be spent and even to die if only he can please God and honor Christ. That's the mindset of the man in the parable who goes out and he sells everything he has so that he can have the field where the treasure is at. That's the mindset of the apostle who said, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That's the mindset of the psalmist who says, there is one thing I've asked of the Lord that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty. That's the mindset of the Christian. Just give me more of Christ. Until that day when we shall fully apprehend Christ. It's that kind of zeal that helps you persevere to the end. It's that kind of zeal that you and I have to cultivate in our soul. It's a kind of desire. Define zeal just a little more fully, though. I don't want you to mistake what too often passes for zeal, just energy. Don't mistake energy for zeal. There are those who do a lot of striving, and they're doing a lot of sweating, they're doing a lot of straining, 
but they're doing it apart from grace. And that's not Christian zeal. That's self-effort. Their mind is not so much set upon Christ as it is set upon their own agenda or set upon receiving the praise of friends or maybe seeing their church or their ministry or their family succeed. Energy does not equal zeal. There must be the right motives. We're to be aimed at the right thing. And that's Christ. Paul will talk about the Jews in Romans 10. And he will say of the Jews there in Romans 10 too, he will say that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You see, Christian zeal is informed by knowledge. It's knowing who Christ is. And with that rudimentary knowledge that I have, whatever measure of knowledge I have of Christ, that it is that knowledge that then informs my striving, that then informs my laboring and my sweating and my straining and making and apprehending. And then as I grow in that knowledge, then that greater knowledge informs. Zeal is never absent of knowledge, not Christian zeal. No, as Christians, we have spirits that are informed. Our emotions do not rule us. Our passions do not have supremacy. We know truth, and that truth is to inform our living. And then there's that zealous endurance. It is persevering in this kind of informed labor, striving by the grace of Christ to know more of Christ. That's what it looks like to persevere to the end. Ah, I know Christ. I've seen Christ. But I want to see more of Christ until that day that I fully see Him in all of His glory. That's the Christian life. That's the pilgrimage. So I'll close with just some pastoral observations about different generations, just as I think about it as I've watched over 20 plus years of ministry and just watching the struggle of this in different generations and having lived some of it. To children, children, I'm talking to you. This is the great struggle for you. The great struggle for you is that you simply go along. You just go along. That is that you're relying upon your parents and you just go along with them. You go along with them to church. You're thankful you, they bring you to church because you like the music. And you like seeing your friends. You simply go along as they lead you at home with reading the Bible and praying because you like the time with mom and dad and you like to learn new things. But it's not enough. You have to seek Christ. So when you're here, you sing. Oh, sing. When you're at home, you open up a Bible and you read. Before you go to bed, you pray. Not just because you've been told to, but because you want to. You don't simply just go along. To the 20-somethings, your temptation is not simply just to go along. It's just to go and go and go and go. You have a lot of energy. Uh, 
And often a lot of zeal doesn't always have the most knowledge, but you get a lot of energy. You have a lot of time, more time than you think you have and more time than you'll have the rest of your life. And so you go and you go and you're busy. But being busy about the work of Christ is not being busy about Christ. And that can be so easily confused. I look back on my college days and think of so many people that I was in what I thought Christian fellowship with. They were so busy about ministry. But now I look back and they've wandered away from the church, away from Christ, away from everything. Because I don't think they were actually enjoying Christ. They were enjoying the work of Christ. It's much like Pastor Kevin was preaching on this morning. You can be a Martha and not a Mary. You can be so busy and be missing Christ in the midst of it. Persevering for you means not missing Christ amidst all the Christian things you're doing. Thirty-somethings, your temptation, I think, is to lose focus. It's to lose focus. You have a family now, you have children, you have a job, many of you a vocation now, you've been set in place, you have a house, your financial status has begun to soar, you are busy with children's sicknesses and soccer games and employment and advancement in the workplace and reviews and your 401k and all of this takes real time and it takes real energy and it takes real effort and it is so easy to lose your focus in the midst of it and everything becomes about the family or about the workplace or about whatever it is, about paying that mortgage. You begin to forget that you're on a pilgrimage. There are too many pilgrims that fall away during those days. Persevering for you means reminding yourself and the home that you live in to seek Christ, that you don't forget your first love. Forty and fifty-somethings, your temptation is to settle in. It's to lay down to rest. Remember when Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress is on that journey, and as he's on the journey, he will lay down to rest, and as he lays down to rest, he will lose that scroll that he has that is his title, and as that scroll rolls away, then he all of a sudden wakes up and he realizes he doesn't have the scroll, he's lost it. He just laid down for a little rest. He forgot that he was on pilgrimage. He just kind of settled in. Forties and fifty-somethings are tempted to do that. You're tempted to treat Christ as common. You have walked with him or walked in the church for years. You've known all of the great hymns of the faith. You have sung them. You have sat under, it seems like, every type of preaching, and you've heard every passage exhorted. There is nothing new under the sun for you. Everything has become common, and so you settle in. Nothing could be further from the truth 
temptation for you is to treat Christ as common, to think you've already reached that perfection, to treat the church as old hat. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have not arrived. You haven't arrived. You have to keep persevering with zeal. For 60-somethings and beyond, I think the temptation is to look back, as Paul says here in the text. He doesn't look back. He strains forward. To look backwards, it's halted many a Christian pilgrim. It's a ready temptation. A runner that's looking back at the ground that they've already covered, admiring how far they've come, then they're no longer looking forward. There are many Christians that get to that 60-something, 70-something, they get, oh, how lost I was, how far I've come, look at my life, and they look back and they're just glorying in the old days and how far they've come, and they just kind of stop. There are others that look back with great regret and they look back on all those years and think, oh, so many wasted years. And instead of looking back with a kind of excitement, they look back with a kind of dread and even discouragement and depression and they just keep looking back. Again, as Pastor Kevin wonderfully noted this morning, our Lord restores the years that the locusts have eaten away. You're not to keep looking back. You're to be straining forward. When you're looking back, you can't strain forward. It's an impossibility. The Puritans used to often talk of this. They, um, they wrote on this all the time. They, they talked about dying well. Dying well. They made it a true spiritual discipline where they not only wanted to live well, they wanted to live all of their days well while they were on earth, but they even focused upon even those last minutes as they were talking about when they laid upon that bed, their deathbed, when they were sick and they knew they only had days or weeks or hours or minutes left to live, they prayed about that regularly before they ever got there. And they were seeking to discipline themselves even before they got to that moment because they wanted to die well. To your very last breath, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you are to persevere. You're to be straining to enter that narrow gate, as the Lord Jesus said. To the very last breath. That's what a pilgrim does. That's what a Christian does. Paul is not pessimistic about all this, about not yet reaching perfection as he says it there. It's, he's actually very optimistic about it, about himself, about Christians. He knows and he's certain that one day he will know Christ completely and fully. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He presses on toward that goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He's pressing on even though he knows that it's his. A favorite passage that I often think about in this regard is John, where he says this in 1 John 3, 2. He says this, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know, we know, is assured, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Whether he returns upon the clouds or whether you and I die that last breath as we persevere to the very end, The Lord keeps those that are his, and it is a guarantee to us that we shall behold him in all of his perfection, and we shall have full and complete knowledge of him, because we shall see him as he is. And on that day, he says, we'll be made like him. That's finishing the race. Remember your pilgrims. Just close with this quote from... David Livingston, who was a famous missionary in Africa from England, and when he returned back from Africa after a season, he was asked this question, Dr. Livingston, where will you go next? And he replied, I'm happy to go anywhere as long as it is forward. That's the Christian life. (laughs) It's just one of continually moving forward. And here's one of the beauties, is that we've been put together as a church. The Lord Jesus has ordained us to do this together. When Christian's on that journey in Pilgrim's Progress, he has this friend beside him, faithful, that will be with him on the journey. Every one of you Christians in this congregation are surrounded by faithfuls to help you along in this journey. And you're held by the faithful one. So keep striving. Let's apprehend as we've been apprehended. Let's pray. We'll close with that song we've been singing. Our Father, we thank you that you give us the promise of life above. And even as you've set us out upon the journey, so you will bring us to our final resting place. We shall gaze upon our Lord and our Savior in all of his glory. You help us to have Christian zeal, to continue in this pilgrimage, to endure into the very end. To not be content with what we have of Christ to desire more and more of Christ and to labor with all that we are to receive more and more of Christ until that day that we reach perfection and become like him because we see him as he is. Continue to shape and mold us and form us in Christ's holy name. Amen.